So we're reading from John 6, verse 52 to 68. When the people began arguing with each other about what he meant, how can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but they will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless a father gives them to me. At this point, many of, dis- many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Good morning, church. It's a real honor to be on the pulpit today. And uh, you you know that the co-leadership team, you know, Dan and them are out there men and women of faith because I've given the Rangatahi pastor the mic this morning. And, you know, subsequently, as a result of that faith they put in me, I've prepared nothing. And we're just going to see where the Spirit leads us and we're just going to see where it lands today, okay? All right, who's ready? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, if you're confused by that text, don't worry. It's a very confusing text. And the, uh, the title of my message this morning is, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Have you ever been so confused, lost, disappointed in life before? Have you ever been so lost, you're like, where am I going? Even Google Maps can't help you. You know, it's, it's a triple threat, a, a triple banger there. I think everyone at some point in their life has had to face this. The worst is, when you get lost overseas. So now in 2019, well not now, in 2019, Lizzie and I traveled to, um, to Europe. And during the pandemic, I loved ramming this down people's throats. I loved reminding them as they were stuck in a, like, you know, a room or in their house somewhere that Lizzie and I got to go through Italy and Barcelona and Portugal. You know, now the story is getting less legs because every second person's social media feed is them in Italy drinking April spritz and having cheese and amazing wine while I'm stuck here in a cold hall in Ibsen. Well, on this trip, I got very lost in the city of Bologna. So lost, it was so confusing. You see, we discovered, me and Lizzie discovered, 
that Bon Iver or Bon Iver to the true fans was playing in a castle three hours away. My, one of my favourite music artists was like playing in a, in a castle, like not just, you know, a stadium, it was in a castle. Lizzie and I were like, we have to go. So we went online straight away. We found the cheapest rental car that we could hire, a Fiat 500. We bought our tickets and we were off, baby. This was going to be an amazing day. We we're going to go by a lake. It was going to be romantic. It was just going to be incredible, you know. So the day was set for an amazing day. I wake up that next day, go down to my local Italian coffee shop, get my espresso just like all the other Italians. It's disgusting because their coffee's not as good as New Zealand, but I'm here with my pastry and my coffee and I'm ready. I wander off to the car rental place. We get there and my not so cheap car rental is actually not so cheap. It's first disappointment. It's very expensive. What should have been like any good event, you know, what should have been $130 or 130 euro ends up to being like 600 or 700 euros. The numbers may be elevated because sometimes I can be a bit of an evangelist, but it was very expensive. Second disappointment. I start driving back to, you know, because I'm excited. Okay, we've got over that first hump and I, I literally can't find where I'm meant to go. I'm like, I literally start driving around the city and I'm absolutely lost. I'm like looking for like landmarks. Is that, where's that church? Where's that pastry shop? I can't find my way back. I try and find the address to our apartment. Can't find it. It is just very, very confusing. And if you've been into any European city, you would know that you can't drive through the middle of those cities. As I drive into like down some roads, there's these big signs like 200 euro sign, do not go down here. And I'm like, ah, do, do, do a quick U-turn and turn around and then to turn down another street to find the same sign like, like blaring at me. And so I'm starting getting stressed. I'm starting getting frustrated. I'm like, I can't find where I'm meant to go. I'm calling Lizzie. She's not being very helpful. It was, a, it was all a little bit much. So a short story, no, a long story short, what should have been a 15-minute trip now turned into an hour ordeal and a 20-minute walk back to the car where I parked at one end of the city and just walked straight through the city to find Lizzie. And like all good travel stories, Lizzie and I are now in a bad mood with each other. I couldn't find the address. She's confused why I couldn't find the address. And I feel she's not being very compassionate towards what I just went through. It wasn't until we, so the whole day, we stay grumpy at each other. We drive to the castle, grumpy. We sit by this amazing lake, grumpy. We get to the castle, still grumpy. This should have been the best day ever. It wasn't until before the concert, we sat down with a piece of pizza in our hand and had an apple spritz in the other, and we looked at each other and we said, I love you. And we realized that half the day we were just hangry. And a word of advice for all those people, <laughs> word of advice for these people in marriage, food solves so many issues. But in the end, as you can see, we um, saw Bonnevere in a castle and it was incredible. It was an amazing concert. Have you noticed how confusing life is lately? You know, we've been bombarded with constant messages about who we are, how to live our lives, and what our morality should be. 
In the West, we're living like in a literal culture war where we've got the left and the right fighting each other. You don't have to sift too far on, social, on YouTube to find these videos about one person's point of view and another person's point of view, and they're, yell, they're yelling at each other with often confusing and very opposing points of view. We're bombarded on social media about our image, and we get messages like, do what your heart tells you, and don't tell me what to do. I am my own boss, my own God. And people wonder why they are lost, confused, and disappointed. We have a rising youth suicide rate and mental health crisis. The world doesn't have the answers. They promote wellness programs, which are good and we need, and anti-bullying programs, which we also need, only to find that our kids are being more bullied online than ever before. You may, you may find that work isn't doing it for you anymore. The number of people I have at like social gatherings and they'll say something along the lines like, I don't like my job, I hate my job, but I can't wait for the weekend. It's a little like that train spotting quote. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family, choose a beeping big television. I beeped out the swear word. Don't worry, I'm not going to do the whole quote. But why would you, you do a thing like that? I choose not to choose life. I choose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got heroin? You know, and I'm not preaching about taking heroin, okay? This FYI. Dan, <laughs> I do not have an addiction. <laughs> you know, one of the most iconic opening lines to a movie ever. And it's kind of fun, but the thing is, people actually believe this. My job, my, my life is pointless. So why don't I just live for pleasure on the weekend? Pleasure starts becoming what people start living for. You know, Peter, for all his impulsive, ambitious, self-assertive, quick to commit, without fully understanding the meaning of Jesus' words or actions, he's onto something here. Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, it's, it's quite a revealing passage where people who called themselves Jesus' disciples, they left him. You think, if anyone could build a following, that would be Jesus. If anyone can build a mega church, it would be Jesus. But he doesn't seem to be concerned about that. And so for many reasons, these disciples, after seeing the signs, the miracles, all these large crowds, crowds flocking to him, they start grumbling and they walk away from Jesus. Now to, like, to better understand this, we just need to go back to the text and have a look. We just need to see what was happening for the lister and why we have two completely different reactions to Jesus' message. Context, it was a Passover. Now, if you're a Taylor Swift fan, you will know that she drops metaphorical Easter eggs like bombs through all her shows, hinting at what she will do next. It's like when T-Swift toured in New Zealand Back in, she like, and me and Lizzie went and saw her at like Mount Smart Stadium. She had these massive snakes, like these massive snakes on either side of the stadium. They were huge. And, uh, and, was a, and, that, was a ref, and that part of the show, was, as T. Swift puts it, was a reference to a couple years ago, someone called me a snake on social media and it caught on. She didn't name names, but fans, they could easily piece together that someone was Kim Kardashian. That was a feud over between T-Swift and Keanu. 
I know, and that's about how deep and theological is this message is gonna get today. <laughs> Mind blowing, I know what you're saying. Well, T-Swift, like T-Swift, the Bible is notorious for dropping Easter eggs right through Scripture. At the start of chapter six, the start of this passage in six, verse four, the Apostle John, the sneaky little Apostle John just slips one right in there. And it says in this verse, the Jewish Passover festival was near. So maybe Jesus was not, wasn't being so random in this passage. Every person in the synagogue listening and hearing Jesus' words would have had the Passover and its symbols and what it meant in the forefront of their mind. This was literally one of the most important festivals of the Jewish calendar. You know, the Passover is known for many things, but there are two important themes that I want to talk about, and that's blood and bread, which mentions, Jesus mentions a lot during this passage we just had um, read out to us. When Jesus mentions this passage, he's referencing himself. He's connecting himself to the Passover and to the story of the Passover. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I, I and am him. My blood, my blood that was on the cross. This is a bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and he died. He who eats this bread will live forever. I was the bread that sustained the Israelites in the wilderness. You know, sometimes Jesus is random. And I like that about Jesus because I'm random. But when Jesus has been random, it's often to create a very deep theological point. And when I'm being random, I'm probably just being random. And that's where me comparing myself to Jesus, Jesus usually breaks down. And that's why he is God and I'm not. So to further explain this connection between blood and bread in this passage, we need to explore what the Passover is. The Passover celebrates the Israelites coming out of Egypt. The Israelites had become slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh. Moses is sent to free God's people through a series of plagues that humble Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. And then this allows the Egyptians, not Egyptians, it allows the Israelites to go free. The Passover is a final plague where the angel of death kills all the firstborns in Egypt. And to explain that, why God did that, I'll let Dan Sheed explain that after the sermon. The Israelites were told to protect their firstborn by spreading the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. Many people mistake the Passover and think it represents how the angel of death passed over, but actually represents how Yahweh hovered over each home, protecting them from the angel of death. So did you notice the Bible dropping Easter eggs like bombs through this story? The Easter egg in this story is a beautiful picture of Jesus as the lamb that is slain for our sins. And his blood is like the blood over the doorposts. As we accept Christ into our lives, we now have God hovering over us, protecting us from death and giving us eternal life, life unto the age. Thus the name Passover. He's referencing himself in the Passover and how his blood is going to be like the blood that was on the doorposts. So how does bread fit into the Passover message and what other listeners hearing? This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Now bread, it's everyone's favourite topic, especially for us who live around Ponsonby. Why is sourdough from daily bread, $12. I mean, like it used to be $8. 
then it was nine, 10, now it's $12. Like how am I meant to like save for a house when sourdough is $12? I've got to have my sourdough every single week, you know? Well, you know, bread chat, it was popular now as it's popular back in Jesus' day. And Jesus loves to talk about it. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which came down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. Jesus again connects himself to the Passover by saying, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. I am the one who provided manna to the Israelites in the wilderness. I am the one who sustains life. Just like the time I fed 5,000 people in the wilderness, like in John chapter six, I am the one who sustains life. And now this brings me to a very important topic of people's expectations of Jesus. So in this passage we just had Caleb read, Jesus connects himself to Passover but he is, in this passage, being very confusing and cryptic. He's not being very straightforward. In John chapter 6, it talks about how large crowds started following Jesus. And as a result of the many signs, wonders and miracles he was performing, people had become expectant. They were expecting Jesus to provide for their physical needs. For their physical needs and their healing. And then they started thinking, and they saw his miracles. And then they started thinking, maybe... He might be the one to overthrow the Romans. And at one stage in chapter six, they decide to make him king by force, but he escapes. So these people following Jesus had different expectations of Jesus, different ideas of what he should do. When Jesus did not meet their expectations, guess what? They're disappointed. You know, Jesus wasn't going to conform to what people wanted him to be. When we conform Jesus to our ideas, we're setting ourselves up for failure and disappointment. He won't be controlled by man. He won't conform to our ideas of what we think he should be. He is the Alpha and Omega. Jesus was who he was before he created the world. So this brings us back to the passage in John chapter 6. Jesus preaches a confusing message. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. And then Jesus doesn't like make it any easier for himself. He doesn't stop and just sort of clear up the whole thing, but kind of goes on. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Jesus isn't like, hey guys, guys, just chill out. I'm just referencing how I'm gonna be like the Passover lamb. I'm like, I'm being symbolic, metaphorical here. But instead, he gets even more cryptic. For my flesh is true blood and my blood is true drink. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus looks at his disciples and he, he asks him, are you gonna leave as well? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's crazy, after all these miracles and signs and provision of bread, 
These disciples following Jesus decided to reject Jesus as their rabbi and stopped following him. You know, imagine going to an All Blacks game at Eden Park and you paid like top dollar for your tickets. But instead of putting on the A team, they put on the B team. And they're playing Australia and they lose. I hate losing to Australia. There's nothing that boils my blood more than us losing to Australia, especially in the cricket. Or you go to a T-Swift concert. She just plays a song. She doesn't talk to the crowd. No lights, no stage drama, no metaphorical Easter eggs hinting at something in the future. She does none of that. Everyone will walk out of those stadiums grumbling and disappointed. So these disciples walked away. They become lost, confused, and disappointed with the message of Jesus. He didn't meet their expectations. So I'm going to talk about being lost, about being spiritually lost. These people have become spiritually lost. In the West, we have actually long, like long ago rejected the message of Christianity and adopted our own way of doing things. We've become a lost generation. For the past 200 years, we've had a message of humanism and secularism, and it's failing. From the sexual revolution to failed communism to humans thinking we are the center of the world, we have a generation of adults who are spiritually lost, leaning on a doctrine of pleasure and self-centered living, the blind leading the blind. Even this week, I tried to lead a lost person to Christ. But, you know, they just sent the same text back to me. <laughs> So that didn't really work too well. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd try. <laughs> but jokes aside, <laughs> well, come back. People, people are lost and the world does not have the answer. Sorry for people online listening to that. You obviously got the joke of the reference. You can you know, get a new, new slide up there, Dan. But... People are lost and the world does not have the answer. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I love this quote from Tim Keller. Boundaries do not always mean less freedom, but freedom to be who we are or who we are supposed to be. You see, in our pursuit of throwing off restraint, to find ourselves, we lose ourselves. I mean, we've probably heard always a classic story of someone who starts doing drugs. At first, they get a sense of freedom and euphoria, and then they become addicted, controlled by the substance. We could, you can put a number of things in there. You could put alcohol in there. You could put pleasure-seeking, you know, people who take risks. But people get, suddenly they start becoming addicted and controlled by whatever the substance is. Tim Keller is saying you actually find who you are and the boundaries that God created for you. It creates a safety net. You know where the playing field is. I love Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word gives us direction. His word is our guide when we are lost. So what's the answer to being lost? We stop and we get our bearings. We use Google Maps, you know, to help us find our way. Maybe it's time we start start using something like Jesus' words to help us find our way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, I'm going to talk about being confused. These disciples were confused. They, they, they left 
Jesus very confused. And I can understand why listening to this message. Studies have suggested that companies lose an estimated 37 billion each year due to misunderstanding in the workplace. Employees misunderstand tasks, committees, miscommunicate expectations. The wrong orders are placed, deadlines are missed, and productivity is wasted. I bet, I bet we've all been in workplaces where something like the above has happened. But here, it seems that Jesus has purposely been confusing. As I said before, you'd think someone trying to build the kingdom of God would be a lot clearer with his message. But no, 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 not Jesus. I like how Tyler stated from Bridgetown puts it in his message, I am the bread of life. You know, a younger me would often read these stories like this one. And, and why did you have to put it that way? Jesus, come on, man, you know this sounds like cannibalism. Is it really necessary to lose a thousand of followers over a misconception about cannibalism? But now I think I'm beginning to see what Jesus is, is doing. Jesus said it this way on purpose to offend and to promise. He had to offend those who all had different expectations and ideas about him, who he was and where he came from. You know, Tyler explains later in this message that the human body cannot process raw wheat. There's that theme of bread again. It needs to be processed before it can be digested, meaning wheat needs to be turned into bread before it can be eaten. The principle behind the offense is this. Sometimes Jesus' words need to be processed before they can be revealed as good news. Think about that. Jesus' confusing words often need to be processed before they are life-giving. You know, at the start of the message, I told you a story how I got lost in a European city. And that was over confusion and poor communication. The problem was, lol, Lizzie had given me the address but it was buried deep in my messages. <laughs> I just had to dig deeper to find the address. You know, I would have found it. I would have found my way if I just dug in deeper. You know, you can either have a face value relationship with God and God's word, or you can dig deeper. So Jesus has been confusing and offensive because he wants us to go deeper. He wants us to find the true meaning he wants us to take time to process His words so we stop creating our ideas about the kingdom of God and start hearing His ideas about the kingdom of God. You may be confused by Jesus' message at times. He's asking you to go deeper. You may be offended by the Christian message, but we hope you look past the offense to find a beautiful message of salvation and restoration of the world. Remember, Jesus' words like wheat need to be processed into bread before they are life-giving. Lastly, I want to talk about being disappointed. You know, these disciples, they walked away and they, they all become dis disappointed with Jesus and his message. You may become disappointed with God like these disciples. You know, I've seen many of my friends walk away over the course of my life and become disappointed with God. They've left Christianity. They've left the church. But instead of walking past the offense or going deeper with God, they walk away from their faith. And there are so many reasons. And I, I, don't, I don't have the time to like explore every single one of these. But often these reasons are they, that 
They don't like the sermons. The people in the church are judgmental. The church is after my money. Maybe someone in the leadership had an affair or something along those lines. And I also want to acknowledge there are legitimate reasons for many people being hurt and leaving their faith or leaving church. A toxic, a toxic church culture, abusive leadership. And as I said, I don't have time to explore those issues. I'm just trying to identify how disappointment can stop us from growing in our faith and our walk with God. There are always a number of reasons that people walk away. But the core of many of these reasons is the issue of unmet expectations, creating disappointment with God. You know, Peter's words are so powerful. I bet the disciples were just as confused as the disciples that left Jesus. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, there's something about Jesus that keeps drawing me in. Most of you might not know this, but this is not my first rodeo in youth ministry. In my previous life, when I was 20, in my 20s, I was a youth pastor at another church, and that was an amazing season. I grew so much in my faith in God, in my walk. I was in a church that pursued God and the move of the Holy Spirit. Every week I saw God move so powerfully and change and touch people's lives so amazingly. But through all these amazing and good things I was seeing God do, like these disciples, you know, like the disciples being 5,000 being fed in the wilderness, through all the good things that I was seeing, there was a growing disappointment taking root in my life. You know, I longed to get married and I had failed relationship after failed relationship. This obsession, this expect, expectation for Jesus to provide. I thought everything in life and in ministry would be right when I got married. But this obsession ultimately grew to be a seed that led to some unhealthy choices in, my relation, in the relationship I was in and ultimately burnt me out of ministry. I became angry at God over one last final failed relationship. I was convinced he was the one. Like these disciples, I grew disillusioned with God. I had to be honest with my leadership with what's happening in the relationship. And at age 31, I stepped out of ministry. I was in and out of church till I was 37, but then God started to draw me back. You have the words of eternal life. Where else would I go? I had to admit to myself in my mid-30s, I was not happy living outside His grace and away from church. Like the prodigal son, Father God called me back. I mean, God could have told 27-year-old Chris, Chill out, Chris. You'll be 37 when you meet her. And even then, she'll take five to six years before she says yes. <laughs> so come on, buddy. Buckle in for the ride. It's going to be a long one. <laughs> but God was trying to teach me to trust Him. I missed the point. I distinctly remember walking up Mount Eden and Dan, about a year and a half ago, asked me, would I consider taking over the youth ministry? I was still holding on to the hurt, the disappointment. Could God use me? I'd been a long time walking in the wilderness and I'd kind of buried the idea of ministry. God was asking me to push past my hurt, my offense, being lost, my confusion and my disappointment to find him. To find him in the hurt, the pain and the muck. You have the words of eternal, eternal life. Where else would I go? So what do you do with disappointment? I love this um, quote from 
Philip Yancey from his book, Disappointment with God. You know, the Bible never belittles disappointment, but it does add one key word, temporary. What we feel now will not always feel. Our disappointment is itself a sign, an aching, a hunger for something better. And faith is, in the end, a kind of homesickness. For never have we visited, but have never once stopped longing for. The suffer we witness is an ache for something better, the kingdom of God. And we take solace in the fact that it is temporary. A time will come when Jesus' kingdom is established and all suffering has ended. I heard one preacher say that all suffering will end and God's kingdom will reign. That's not an if, but a promise. In the, word, in the book, The Vineyard DNA, while the kingdom of God was breaking into the world through Jesus, all human suffering, pain and difficulty did not disappear. In fact, it still remains with us to this day. For Jesus, while the kingdom of God was happening in the present, it was also yet to come to its fullness in the future. What happens with many people's disappointments in the church and in life is a lack of understanding of the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet. Many people's disappointments in God couldn't be the kingdom not yet. People want an answer to prayer. Prayer's not answered. Kingdom not yet. Prayer does get answered. Prayer now. As a church, you know, we stand for kingdom now. We want to see God's kingdom come in all our lives. We want this. We want to see God's kingdom come. But we also will stand with you when it doesn't. And this is why Jesus, Peter's words are so powerful. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He recognized who Jesus was. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so as I close this morning, I'm going to talk about how, a little bit how Jesus is our provision. You know, we have a particular problem and solution in the words of Peter and Jesus. It could be arrogant claimed by Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God through me. I am God and to find God, you need to go through me. You need to believe in me and my ways of doing things. And we could ignore Peter's words, his confession of faith. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. But as C.S. Lewis puts it, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You know, Jesus didn't give us much, much room for anything else. In John 6.66, 6, 6, these so-called disciples, they left Jesus because they made the choice he wasn't the Messiah. He's confusing. His message disappoints me. And Jesus is not meeting my expectations of what the Messiah is. And we stand here with the same choice 2,000 years later. Do we believe the words of Jesus? Do we believe who Jesus said he was? You know, Jesus through this passage is saying, I am the new Passover lamb. I'm here and I want to bring you life. My blood was shed for you to protect you so that you would pass from death unto life. My body was broken so any of you would not eat it. So any who eat, would eat it would be sustained. So how do you navigate being lost, confused and disappointed? We stop and we get our bearings. We come to Jesus. And this matters to me because, you know, I didn't take on the rangatahi pastor just, you know, just, just cause. 
I want to see young people encounter God. I, I, I look at our world and it's confusing and, it, and it's messaging is making people even more lost than ever before. I want people to encounter the living God. I want people to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. I believe God is who He says He is. I've met a God who changed my perspective on Him and who gave me life, who redeemed me from my sin and called me by His rich words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. So you may find yourself being in either group of these disciples asking the same question. Where should I go? And that is why today as we finish, this is a moment that as a church we come to every week to remind ourselves that Jesus is truly, truly the one he said he was. We're finishing today with communion. So I want to call you to the table to engage with the body, the Passover meal, with the Passover Jesus and the, as a Passover people. But today, as, every week, every, as we should every week, let's take the posture to treat this moment as sacred. As you take the elements, the drink that represents his blood and the bread that represents his body, may you use that space to offer up some of your disappointments to God. Ask him for forgiveness when you've let stuff in. Ask him to start healing your heart. And when you've been confused by his message, maybe ask him to help you start on that journey to be able to see what he really is saying in his word. I believe today as we take communion, I believe that it's going to be a holy moment. And for some of you, you know, healing might come straight away. Like you might, I got a sense when I was preparing this message that some of you is going to be like a weight was going to be lifted off you. And some of you is going to be the start of a journey. Some of that disappointment was still going to remain. Some of that confusion and the hurt was still going to be there. But it was like light was going to start cracking in to what had been obviously a very hurt and disappointed heart. So I do believe the Holy Spirit is here at this moment. So this is an invitation to go deeper. Lastly, before we take communion together. If this message has stirred something in your heart, the leadership up here, the co-leadership and the leaders here in the church, we would love to pray for you. If you would love some personal prayer um, and after communion, come up and see either Dan, me or some of the other leaders and we'll definitely stand with you and join prayer. So, as we gather around the table, we gather around Christ together. This is a table, not of the church, but of Jesus Christ. It's made ready for those who love God and who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who've been here often and you who've not been for a long time or ever before. You who've tried to follow Jesus and all of us who failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, not because the church invites you. It is Christ who invites you to be known and fed here.
come. It is Christ who invites us to go deeper.